We've been talking about the series here on crossings, and I figured before uh, we parted out of this, we got one more that we have to talk about. We first talked about Jesus and the times where the storm was happening, and the first one he told his disciples to row to the other side. And so they got in there and they rowed. And then all of a sudden, the storm, he was sleeping, they wake him up, they say, Lord, don't you even care what's going on? Of course he cared what was going on. And he gets up and he looks at him and he says, where is your faith? What's wrong with you? I told you we're going to the other side. Why couldn't you have trusted me you were going to get there despite what was going on around you? He looks at the storm. He says, peace, be still. The point of that whole passage is not that Jesus calmed the storm. It's that they lost their faith for God to bring them through the storm. How many of you are like me when a difficulty happens? It's like sometimes I lose sight of Jesus and I'm kind of like, man, my health goes, my finances go, my, my peace goes, and, and I, just Jesus says, row, keep rowing, keep rowing. You know, it's kind of like Dory from, from uh, Finding Nemo, right? Just keep swimming, just keep rowing, just keep swimming, just keep rowing. Well, the second time, another time this happens in the gospel, Jesus says, go to the other side. And as they're going to the other side, what happens? They're in the boat, but Jesus isn't there with them. And who shows up? Jesus. And what's he doing? He's walking on water. And by the way, I believe when the Bible says that Jesus walked on water, he literally walked on water. He walks on water. He shows that he's God even over the circumstances, even nature itself. And if he can walk on water, he can help me to walk over any situation that I need. So sometimes it doesn't matter how much you row. It doesn't matter how much you row. Sometimes there are some storms that your, your rowing is just not going to be good enough. And Jesus is going to say, now get out of the boat and walk. And so Peter says, Lord, just if it's you, call me out of the boat. Can I just tell you something? God doesn't call us to just kind of do all kinds of crazy, risky things. But he calls us to pray and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do with this storm? Do you want me to row through it? Because when I row through it, instead of cursing your name, I'm going to praise your name and I'm going to trust you. I'll row all the way to the other side. But sometimes Jesus needs to increase our faith and say, get out and walk on top of it. Get out and walk on top of your depression. Get out and walk on top of your, your, your sickness. Get out and walk on top of your addiction or whatever, different strokes for different folks. But sometimes Jesus supernaturally changes what we know to be right and true and does the impossible in our life and through our life. And then finally... We come to the last in this, talking about the parting of the Red Sea. Some storms and some waters, we got to just row through to the other side. But there comes a point early on in our walk where we need to realize that our rowing, our best rowing isn't going to do it. Your best rowing isn't going to change your attitude or your heart or your friendships. You, you, you have to do some part of this. You, there's, there's a condition in Christianity where you participate with God. It really is. There always is. You, you never stop rowing. In all of these storms, they never stop rowing. But there comes some storms, no matter what you do, the end is there, and God steps in and he says, I don't want you to walk on it. I don't want you to row through it. I'm going to part it for you. And he says this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Turn with me to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. And we're going to go through... This passage, as we talk here this morning, looking back and forth at it, I believe when the Bible says that God parted the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea. Um, so read with me, if you will, here. I just want to take a couple of verses, a couple of verses. 
chapter, Chapter 14, look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near to the people and Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Turn to verse 11. They said to Moses, it's because of you. It is because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is it not, is this not what we said when we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. Think about the crate, the madness of their statement. They're like, listen, just, just leave me alone. I, I, I know I, I stumbled in my addiction, but why didn't you just leave me in my addiction? Why didn't you leave me in my sinful state? It was better when I was back there. It's never bad, better back there. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Amen. Listen, the enemy that you see today, you will never see him again because the Lord will fight for you. And what does God call us to do in this situation? To be what? Silent. How many of you ever get yourself in trouble with your mouth? I do it all the time. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because I've found that some of the dumbest things that I've done and some of the worst things that have happened have not been what was going on around me, but what was coming out of me. I'm like, Lord, help me to trust you more. I got some geeky stuff here to show you. How many of you watch Discovery Channel and you're like, oh, the Red Sea and, you know, Mount Sinai's in, in Saudi Arabia and he didn't cross the Red Sea, he crossed the Reed Sea and all that stuff. Well, I had a whole bunch of stuff I was going to show you, but I'm just not going to do it. And everybody said, aw, all right. I don't, my thing is just not working at all. This is really, oh, that, now it is, yeah. Well, all right, I'm going to run through it. How's that? When you look at it, this is how you say Red Sea in Hebrew. I'll click, I'll whip my, yeah, yeah, you're on it. But here's the incredible thing, right? You don't say, go back one, you don't say red by saying suf. Everyone say suf. You don't say red by saying suf, you say red by saying adom. Say adom. Uh, it, it, and it means like a, a reddish clay dirt color. So when you read about the Red Sea, in scripture, it's not the Red Sea, it's actually the word for reed. It's the same word that's used in Exodus chapter 2 verse 5 when it says that Moses was put in a basket among the suf, among the reeds. So what in the world's going on here? Well, for a reed is what they make the writing material out of papyrus. I'm going to go wicked quick here, ready? And that we know of the story of Moses. That's a picture actually in Egypt, and you can see some of the reeds that are right there. there. And there are sections, not just of the Nile, but also of the Red Sea as it comes into land, where it's literally an ocean of water and an ocean of these reeds. So if you look at Egypt, and you look at Israel, and you look at the Red Sea, the Red Sea sticks in with two fingers. But as you zoom in closer to that box, you'll see the Nile is to the left, and the Red Sea's to the right, and then all of a sudden it stops, and it becomes, it becomes like this, this uh, channel, this canal. Now, if you look to the left, you can see what happens to the water when it's there. Literally, it has these deep bodies of water, but it also has tons and tons of these reeds growing up all over the place. So if we look here by the Red Sea, and you zoom in on that, you can see to the, to the left there all of this section that gets filled with reeds. And this is where they have today what's called the Suez Canal. Ready? 
Now the Bible says in chapter 14, verse 1 of Exodus, he says, go to Pihahiroth. For the longest time they were looking for a city called Pihahiroth, and what they found out is that they were looking for something that didn't exist in Egyptian. It does, it's not an Egyptian word. It actually means the mouth of the canals. Go back one real quick. The Suez Canal, where it goes, a good place to have a canal in, in the day today is the same good place that you would have it back in the day. And what the Egyptians did is, is they made a huge canal. They filled it with hippopotamuses. They filled it with crocodiles. And they filled it with channels so that anyone that ever tried getting to them had to go through this area. And so when you look at the account of the story of where they traveled through the Exodus, this place, Pihahirath, is actually right on the edge of the Dead Sea right on the edge of the Reed Sea. And so when they crossed over with that, they were crossing over to a spot that was right above the Red Sea. Does that change your life? Does that make you want to stop sinning? Does that make you totally believe God to change your circumstances? No. But here's the thing. What a lot of liberal scholars will say is, this, oh man, the Reed Sea. They didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Reed Sea. Well, the important thing to understand is, is when the Bible says that they crossed over the sea, it says that there was a wall of water to the left and a wall of water to the right. So one time there was a little kid in school and the teacher said, hey kids, you know the Bible says that, that Moses didn't cross the Red Sea, he crossed the Reed Sea. It was a marshy place and if you've got reeds there, it's only like a few inches deep in a few places. It's absolutely true. It's a few inches deep in some places, but it's also a few hundred feet deep in other, or about a hundred feet deep in other places. And the Bible says clearly there was a wall of water to the left and a wall of water to the right. So the little kid says, that's not true. God, God said that they, that they crossed through the water. The teacher says, it's not true. It's a reed sea. It's only a few inches deep. And the little kid goes, amen, praise God. And the teacher's like, what are you praising God for? He says, God drowned the entire army of Egypt in two inches of water. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, sometimes when it comes to intellectual stuff in the Bible, we can just carry it too far. You know what? Knowledge is good but knowledge in and of itself is not enough. Now listen, let me tell you what, the Bible says we should study to show ourselves approved and we should understand things, but it's that simple. When the Bible says they walked with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right, when they walked across that thing, they were walking through a miracle. And our miracles might not have towers and walls of water to the left and right, but it might have hopeless, overwhelming oceans of difficulty that even our best rowing couldn't get us to the other side. And Jesus steps in and says, I don't want you to row across this. I don't want you to walk on this. I'm going to part the thing for you. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How many of you have ever experienced that in your life where God steps in and he says, step through this. Believe me for a miracle. I can do it. Well, the first thing that I think is important for us to understand with this story is the Bible helps us understand that the enemy exploits when we're trapped. How many of you remember the most recent difficult situation you were in and your head hit your hand and you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. Look at what some of the enemy, things that the enemy said here when the children of Israel walked in. It says that Pharaoh will say they are wandering and the wilderness has shut them in. They're wandering, and the wilderness will shut them in. Listen, let me tell you something what the enemy does with our life. He magnifies our problems. 
He'll come in and he'll say, this is the end. There's no way out. There's no hope for you. There's no coming out. You have no turns. You have no options. You, know, you, have, you don't even have the ability to do it. And you know what the sad thing is? When the enemy comes to you and talks like this, when the devil talks to you like this, when your difficult circumstances talk to you like this, it's absolutely true. And he, the enemy is captain obvious. He comes in and he says, look at that ocean. You can't swim across that. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, I can't swim across that. Look at that enemy. Look at, look at me in back of you. I'm coming your way and I'm going to overpower you and I'm going to wipe you out. And you're like, oh my goodness, they can totally wipe me out. They can totally overpower me. I don't know what we're going to do. Why does he do that? Because he comes in in the moment where he knows that he can take advantage and exploit the situation. He magnifies the situation within you. And you, you, say, you start looking inside yourself. You're looking at the, the stuff he brings your attention to. And you're like, the, it's, too, it's too far to row. He's too big for me to fight. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you look inside yourself and you say, oh my goodness, I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough resource. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough ability. I don't have any friends to support me. And then he starts speaking to every other area of your life. And he says, you know what? You can't recover that love. You can't raise that child with special needs. You'll never be able to support your family. You'll never get set free from that vice and that, that difficulty. You'll never pull out of your depression. You'll never get ahead in life. You'll, you'll never get out of this pit that you're in. And he points to everything in the obvious that's in front of you, and every single bit of it is true. And it's at that point that he hopes with all of his heart that you just despair and you just give up. That you don't try to break that habit. You don't try to change that circumstance. You don't try to change your life. The devil never comes at opportune moments. Have you noticed that? The enemy never shows up when you're at your best. He always shows up when you're at your worst. Look at this. It's true with Jesus. The Bible says that Satan uh, took him. He was in the wilderness and he tempted him three times. Said, turn these stones to bread. Uh, all, uh, bow down and worship me. You know, all this I'll give to you if you do that. He goes through all this different stuff, and each time Jesus is like, well, bam, nope, don't do that, don't do that. He uses the word of God. But after he's done tempting Jesus and Jesus passes the test, it says he departed from him until an opportune time. Let me ask you a question. Other than Jesus driving out demons, right, and the demons were vexing the people, not Jesus, when was the next time that you see Satan showing up? You see him showing up at Jesus' lowest moment when he enters Judas and he betrays him and he sets in motion the cross, which God was God's plan all along. But here's something important, a truth that you need to embrace early on. You need to understand that the enemy always exploits the moments when you're trapped and he always points at all of the realities that are around you and you have a choice in that moment to, to realize, you know what? Is this where the story ends or can God pick it up? And the, the, the truth of the matter is, yes, he can. You know what? Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond and react to it. I wish I totally, there are times, that you, how many of you right now, if you just go back over your life, you're like, I wish I didn't act that way. I wish I didn't respond that way. I wish I didn't think that way. I wish I didn't do that. Like, like it, it, hindsight is 20-20, right? But I'm learning in, my, in, my, in the latter phases of my life to be able, before I start responding, before I start reacting, to be like, Lord, everything that happens to me is 10% of what's going on. It's really the 90% of how I respond to it. Help me to respond in faith Help me to trust you. It's in these moments that we can choose to listen to what's going on around us or we can look 
and see what's going on inside of us, or we can do the third option and begin to listen to the God that's above us. Why? Because you know what? The enemy, the enemy, check this out, ready? The enemy exploits you when you're trapped, but so does God. So does God. What in the world do you mean by that? Well, God was exploiting the children of Israel's weaknesses as bait for Satan so that he would do the very thing to hell that hell was trying to do to his people. That's what God does. The, the enemy comes in, he looks for the opportune moment, he points at your circumstances, he points at your situation, he points at your emotions within you, he, he points at the motion around you, and he states the facts. He clearly states the facts. The ocean is too big for you to swim across. The army is too strong for you to fight against. This is one of those moments in history where fight or flight, neither of them worked. And maybe you're like me and you found yourself in some of those moments where it's like, I just want to get out of here, but there's no running away from it. And it's like, I'm just going to fight it. And then you just get so beat up. It's like a back alley whipping, right? You know those ones that they give you in South Boston when you're on the ground and you're unconscious and they're, they're still kicking you? It's like, and it's like, it doesn't matter whether you fight from it or you fight for it. You can't win either way. And it's at that point that we think, oh my goodness, this is the end. God has led us out into the middle of nowhere so that, uh, that he's punishing me. God's against me. God's not against you. God's for you. What you think's happening around you that looks like the enemy is trying to destroy your life with, God is going to destroy the enemy with. He sets him up. He's using you to bring glory to himself. Look at what the verses say right here afterwards. Three things that, that jump right out. Verse 13, it says, For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Bible says that he threw the Egyptian forces into panic. The very people who were causing a panic on God's people, now all of a sudden they're the ones in panic. And look at this. The waters returned and not one of them remained. He baits the enemy. And here's the trick. We're the bait. Hell just kind of puts us there. We're like, you ever see the History Channel or like the Discovery Channel? It's like Wild Kingdom. You know, it's always that little that little jump buck that's in the middle of nowhere and he's just hanging out and you see all the lions and they're like, oh my goodness. And there's always, listen, God is like the hunter in the tree and they think that they're going to get that jump buck and it's the hunter that's going to get that lion. Listen, I'm not called to be strong. I'm told to trust God in my weakness. You know, I really appreciate our culture and our country. Here's the thing. You have to understand, when it comes to difficulties, you, you have your part to do. You have to do your rowing. You have to step out of the boat to experience a miracle. But there come some moments where the only thing you can do is stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And there's a reality that you and I, in order to have victory in Jesus, in order to experience a miracle... We have to make peace with the fact that no matter who we are, no matter what we do, and no matter what we try, it will never be good enough. That's why we need the Lord. I said, that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need Jesus. Listen, listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it throughout some of his epistles. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, he says this. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in what? Our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says this. He says, for when I am weak, I am strong. And then in verse, verse 10, a little further, he says, I am content with my weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, there's, there's don't get me wrong here. I don't want 
you to miss the point that we're just supposed to hit cruise control and let God do everything. You, you and I have a part to play. God partners with us. But you at some point in your life know that you have been at a place where there is no hope, there is no possibility, there is no nothing. And it's at that point that you have to realize that while hell exploits us being trapped, so does God to bring glory to himself, to help us. See, we know our enemies exploit when we're trapped, but so does God. And we have our part, and our part is to trust him. Listen, you, can't be pos- you can be positive with hope today, not because of your circumstances and not because of your strength or ability, but because of the God that loves you and knows who you are. You are known and loved by God. You are not alone You might feel like you're alone, but you are not alone. You may feel like you're trapped and there's no way out, but you're not trapped. There is no way out because what the enemy intends to destroy you with, God springs back and destroys him with it. And the enemy that you see, you see no more. See, our part is to trust him in faith. You can either trust in faith or you can drown in a sea of fear. Look at what God's saying to them. Listen to this, verse 13. He says, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work today. Look at what God says to you in your circumstance. Listen to this. this is, listen, I know this was God speaking to the children of Israel at the Red Sea back there, but this is God speaking to you right now in the middle of your difficulty, right in the middle of your situation, right in the middle of your midlife crisis, right in the middle of that new home you're trying to get that you feel like you'll never be able to get it, right in the middle of that career that looks like it's all about to end, right in the middle of, of that single parent situation where you're like, how in the world am I going to do that? This is God talking to them, but this is also God talking to you. Listen to what God's says the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent trust him look at what he says here verse 11 he says then Moses said it this is what they said they said to Moses this is what the people did God said be silent okay and this is the part here right where your pastor is kind of saying ouch this is the moment where God comes in and he says I'm going to save you you're right the enemy's right you're right. There is no hope. There's no change. They abandoned you. The situation can't, there, there's no way you can fix it. There's no way you can fight it. There's no way you can run away from this. That's why I'm going to step in and help your situation. I want you to stand firm, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. But he commands them this, this verse. He says to them, the Lord will fight for you. Only be silent. And this is the place where Perhaps like me, you fail at this because it's at that point that you just begin to start doing the same thing the enemy does. You begin to quote what's going on around you. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough to make that happen. I can't fix this. I can't change that. And then as that frenzy of reality hits you, then you begin to turn on the people around you. See, because I never accuse my wife of problems in our house at all. Serious, right? Why is it when we get, how many of you married couples, right? When you're in the middle of a difficult situation, all of a sudden you look for the reason why it went wrong in your spouse. Now I know you guys are holy and righteous and none of you do that, right? But like, you know, you know what? My, Andrew wouldn't be acting like this. It, Diana, Andrew wouldn't be acting like this if you didn't do that the other day. And it's like, what do you mean? You're talking about that. And then she pulls out her arsenal and says, well, you know what? It's your fault because you did that. And, and here's the problem with this. Number one, we've, we've, Instead of fighting the problem, we've begun to fight each other, and we're still no better for the situation after 
the, the silence hits. And I'm, I'm trying to learn a lesson when difficulty hits is God says, close your mouth. Because the things that are going to come out of it are not going to help you. They're going to actually hurt you. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. Listen, they said to Moses, it's because of you that there's no, no is it, it, it's because of you. There are no graves in Egypt that you had to take us out to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in wilderness. No, it wouldn't. That's the funny thing about panic and fear and difficulty is we begin to look back and think that it was better. All right, I've been working on this all week, so check this out. I need a volunteer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've been trying to get this to crack. You ready? My understanding is, is the reason that a whip cracks is because the very tip of it breaks the sound barrier. Have you ever heard of that? It moves so fast. That's the reason why. I don't know if that's true. Stephen, I bet you off the top of your head you could confirm that. But they're saying this was better for them. They're saying, you know what, Moses? Instead of bringing us out and delivering us, we would have rather this. Now, Juan's going to kill me if I hit his daughter up front here, so i got to be careful with it. Does that really sound better to you? I mean, how stupid I am sometimes. I, 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 I don't know what it is about this life. I've found that sometimes when I get stuck in my deepest pits, when I'm in my darkest corners, when I'm in my most impossible situations... It's like I look back, and that's the beauty of time. You can't go back. In fact, if you try to live your life in the back, you lose it because you don't go around your problems. You have to go through them. You have to go through them. And, and, and so many times I'm like, oh, man, I just, you ever, you ever, you ever hear the saying, the good old days? I, you know what I've come to learn? The good old days weren't as good as they seemed. And they were definitely not good for these people. They were under the crack of the whip. You know what? It would have been better if I'd have stayed in that relationship. But now that I'm all alone, no, it wouldn't have been better for you to go back in that relationship. That was toxic. That was destroying your life. Oh, man, if I had only, if I could have, and if I should have, and if I would have. And the whole time God was saying, listen, I want to save you. Just please shut your mouth. Stop talking. You're making the ocean bigger. You're making the enemy larger. You're magnifying the problems. Stop magnifying the problems. Start magnifying me. And that's what praise is all about. When you begin to see the ocean that's in front of you and the enemy that's behind you and the circumstances and the reality of everything that's impossible within you, you begin to look up at the God above you and you begin to say, God, I don't know how I can get out of this situation, but if you said I can cross this and you're going to part the sea, I'm closing my mouth and I'm waiting and that enemy can smile about my destruction all he wants. That ocean can look at me and laugh all at once, but you're about to open this thing wide open and I'm going to walk through in freedom. And that's the God that you and I serve. He wants us to trust him and to be still and know that he's God. And here's the crazy thing, right? Look at verse 15. If you still have your Bible open, if not, I'll, I'll read it to you. But at the end, when it comes down to saying, I'm going to trust God in faith because all that will happen to me is this, I'm going to drown in a sea of fear if I, if I don't trust him. 
It's at this moment where God says this in verse 15. He says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Moses turns to God. He's like, Lord, do you hear them? Do you see the situation? The Lord's like, why are you crying to me? The people just complained to Moses, and now he's taking that complaint to God. And God's like, I don't even want to hear that. Don't even bother. Why are you wasting your time? Moses, why are you wasting your time with that if I'm definitely not going to waste my time with that? The solution to the problem is not debating with their fear. The solution to the problem is them quieting their spirit, closing their mouth and trusting me and watch what I do. They're not going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he says this, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And this is why some of us get in worse situations than we are in our life. And this is why some of you need to go to counseling so that you can find freedom for your life. Is is that some of us have a pattern when we hit a difficult situation like this, we try to find a way around it when the whole time God says, you're not going to escape this by walking around it and you're not going to escape this by fighting against it. The only way you're going to escape this situation is if you trust me to deliver you because I'm going to part the water and you're going to walk through it. You're going to walk through it. Our part is not to, it, it, it's not to be weak and it's not, it's not to be strong. It's to keep our mouths closed and to move forward in faith. Not move backwards, but to move forward. Everybody always talks about backsliding, right? But what about front sliding? It's when you reach a point in your life where you're like, I'm a good enough Christian. I shouldn't have any problems in my life. I'm a good enough Christian. I shouldn't be struggling with these things. I'm, I've been a Christian for long enough. I mean, I should be walking on water right now. You know what? There are some problems you can row through, and there are some problems sometimes that Jesus helps you walk through them, but there are some problems that the ocean's too deep and the enemy's too big that your participation is not required. Your silence is required, and your faith is required because God wants to do something for you that that you never could do for yourself. He wants to deliver you. He wants to help you. He wants to do a miracle for you. You, And your part is close your mouth and move forward. There's, There's a very interesting Jewish story of this passage of scripture that dates all the way back to the time of Jesus. And it's, it's, it's from a thing, I, if I were to say it, it wouldn't matter, but I'll say it anyway for the handful of people that might get this. It's called Makiltna de Rabbi Ishmael, right? Everybody say that 10 times quick. <laughs> and here's how the story goes. It, it, the Jewish people are storytellers and they like doing what we do, right? When we, when we tell a story, you know, the fish always gets bigger, doesn't it, right? <laughs> and it, it always does. So they, they tell the story. Now in, the, in scripture, it talks about how God tells the people through Moses, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. And he says, stretch out your rod and I'm going to part the water, right? But the, the, the story of the Jewish people goes like that, that Moses got into the water. And he didn't just get into the water, but he got up to his knees into the water. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was, he was like, how does this thing work, right? Like, uh, you know, what, what is this? Am I supposed to do it like this? Or whoosh. You guys, uh, uh, I, I'm a movie buff. I love, like, Spider-Man movies. You guys watch that, uh, the new one that came out? But there's one where he's trying to make his web thing work. He's like, webway, fly. You know, it's like Moses is sitting here like, how in the world is he trying to make this do? And the Bible says that he just stretched out his staff, but the Jewish people say, that Moses kept moving forward until the water was up here, which meant that's like what was happening with Moses. I don't know if that's true or not, but I kind of, 
feel like I can relate with that a lot more, you know, with Charleston Hessen, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm kind of more like, oh, help. <laughs> because it's okay to be weak. Because in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. It's okay to not have your act together. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay. It's okay to be a realist and look at the ocean and look at the enemy. But what's not okay is for us to open our mouth in fear and for us to move backwards. You can't go around this problem and you can't fight it. You need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and say, oh God, help me, help me. And he does. There's an interesting verse in Acts chapter 7, verse 36 through 39. Pastor Dylan and I were talking through this passage, and he said this, and it, it just struck me. He goes, you know what, Pastor Paul? This story in the Bible reminds me of when Stephen in the New Testament, he's one of the, the newer guys. He was a church leader. He was a deacon. He was just appointed by the apostles, and all of a sudden he gets out, and he just starts preaching. I mean, he, they're, they're like hey, we told you to wait on tables and help people and line up chairs and, you know, uh, fix the parking lot. And he says, yeah, I know, but I, I'm, I'm going to totally say what God wants to say. And he, he starts preaching and the Pharisees surround him and they get so angry at him, they go to stone him to death. And at one point, he's trying to explain to them that their hearts are just like the people of Israel at that ocean. He says about Moses, that this man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside in their hearts, and they turned to Egypt. What's amazing about this passage is when you look at it in the way that it was written and in the language that it was written, it literally says that they willfully chose to refuse to obey God out of their fear. They just cast God aside out of their fear. And every time, friend, every time you and I begin to shout at our spouse, yell at our kids, bark at the neighbor, bite the dog, God is like, stop talking and start trusting. Stand still and see my salvation. You can't do this. You are too weak. It, could we just do this today uh, and just embrace the fact that we're never going to be strong enough for some of these difficulties. We're never going to be able to row across it. We're never going to be able to fight it. And that's why we have the Lord. That's why we need the Lord. It's because he's there for us. See, they moved back to Egypt instead of moving forward. And the whole time God's saying, don't you know that what's impossible for man is possible with God? Well, you don't understand. I didn't have a father or a mother growing up. You know what? That doesn't mean that God can't make you cherish and value that and you become the best father or the best mother that any of your kids ever experienced. Well, you don't understand. I'm a single parent. You know what? The Bible says that when we lack the difference, God makes, God makes up that difference and, and that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Well, you don't understand. I'm just so weak-willed and I'm just so, well, you know what? God's provided some really awesome water-parting water things in this church like counseling and small groups and you find forgiveness with God. But let me tell you what, you want to find freedom. You find freedom making yourself accountable and opening up your life with other people. It changes your life. There's a, a, a one last clip here I want to show you real quick and we're actually going to be done early. Everybody said, Amen.
Look at the, out of all the different clips that, uh, that I love about the Ten Commandments, the greatest one I ever saw in my entire life was the one that Steven Spielberg did, Prince of Egypt. By the way, there's a whole generation that hasn't seen this. Have you seen Prince of Egypt yet? Oh, thanks a lot for ruining my illustration. Okay, so most of your kids have never seen this movie, and you should show it. You know, Steven Spielberg, uh, he's Jewish, but he's Jewish in his lineage. He's not a, he wasn't a practicing Jew. And after he did Schindler's List, he said, I'm convinced that there is no people that could have gone through this and, and, and regrouped the way they did without God being with them. And it began a, sh- a, a faith journey for him. And that's when he started the DreamWorks extension of his, of his, uh, of his career. And the first movie that came out from that was, was this one, was Prince of Egypt. And then after that, Joseph's, uh, uh, what is it, Joseph? Prince of Dreams or something like that. I don't know. I think it was Terminator 3, something like that. Those are great films to show you, but take, just take a look at this because it just really frames. I, I'm telling you, there are moments, the most anointed film moment I think I've ever seen was when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush in this film. You just look at it again, watch it. I know it's a cartoon, uh, but watch the whole thing again and watch it with your kids, your grandkids, your niece, your nephew. Just, uh, it's worth it. But take a look at this moment here and it just kind of really shows us what God did. I can't wait to get the new screen in here, by the way, <laughs> where we can actually see it. I'm telling you, it's like he just goes, boom, the whole thing. And, and there's this one scene where they start walking across it, and the children are, like, looking up. And all of a sudden, lightning strikes, and you see a, a, a whale, like, in the side of the water. It's, like, enchanting. And, like, I look at it, and I know that it's Hollywood, and I know that it, it's, it's got the musical score that can move your heart, and nothing does it like that. But, man, can I tell you something? The real thing must have been a lot more amazing than that. The real moment of deliverance must have been a lot more amazing than that. And the real moment in your life that 
I feel like we're in a culture where we escape everything. We go around our problems. You know how we go around our problems? Instead of us getting discipline in our life and facing them and calling out to God for help, we hide behind a Netflix series and we binge it. Or we get in front of a stupid video screen and we stay up until four in the morning and, and we just waste up, we pass the day or we, or we throw ourselves into a situation instead of us stopping and being like, oh my goodness, wait a second, I got an enemy behind me, I've got an ocean in front of me, I, I need like God to help me. And that we would actually, instead of trying to soothe our soul with entertainment and, and, and social networking, and which, which isolates us more than anything else, that we would learn what it's like to be in the presence of a God where through him all things are possible. We learn to talk to God again, that we learn to ask him for help again. Can I, let me just say something as a sidebar, lovingly as your pastor. If you spend more time on Netflix and if you, and more time on video gaming and more time on your garden than you do to giving God, and, and you can't give God 30 minutes of your day, some, you're not prepared for the difficulty in front of you. You need him. You need him. And here's the, here's the amazing thing that somebody told me once. When elephants are little, they will take that elephant and they will tie it up to a tree. And if they can, they'll use chain. If not, they'll use a very thick rope. And when that baby elephant is put, when that baby elephant is put there, it spends all of its days trying to get free. It cries out. It's like, I don't know what elephants do and how they, but they, they, they cannot, no matter what they do, they can't get free. They try to, but they, it's hopeless. And I don't know about you, but maybe in your life, you've got a situation like this. And so you've decided, well, you know what? I'm just jaded because this thing happened to me. You know, I'm never going to be a whole person. Or, you know what? This, this, this is my, <laughs> I don't want to say this is a marriage, you know, but, but like, <laughs> you know, this is the difficulty in my marriage and it's not going to be fixed. And like, and, and, and I get you, listen, you could fill in the blank of whatever it is. This is my lot of loneliness. This is my difficulty of, I just can't get free. And here's the reality of this. That baby elephant can't get free. But here's the sad part to this story. When that elephant grows up, they upgrade from a chain to a tiny piece of rope. And the problem is this, that that elephant has been so conditioned that he can't get free from that chain that when he's grown up, the way that they keep that elephant in place they take a rope and they put the spike in the ground and he never bothers to try and get free because he's convinced that there's no freedom for him. And I would dare say this, I've been in life and I've been in ministry long enough to know that although you love Jesus, although that you, you, you love him with all of your heart, there are some situations in your life that are, have been so conditioned in you to say that there is no freedom, that you've just made peace with the thing that has control of your life. And you'll say, well, you know what? I'm just not gonna bother trying to get free because you can't. I'm not gonna try and improve the quality of my marriage because she'll never be different. He'll always be the same. I'm not gonna bother trying to believe God for a miracle that he could turn my financial situation around or he could turn my circumstances around because, because I've already tried that. And that's the problem with you and I, we've already tried it. We haven't asked God 
to part the waters for us. And God, the whole time we're sitting there saying, God, I can't get free of this. I don't know how to do it. And he's like, would you please stop talking and stand still and see my salvation? Well, Lord, you just don't know how lost my kid is or how off my husband is or how, how vehement my wife is or how mean my boss is or, or how limited my education is or how, and, 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 so, and the whole time we're sitting there walking around talking about how bad the situation is and we're never bothering to get free because we've been conditioned to think that 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 we can't and we've forgotten that this is an option that the ocean is too deep the enemy's too big you weren't made to get free from this god has to set you free from it and some of us are literally this far away from freedom this far away from freedom a string away from freedom if we would just trust God to part the water stand with me I wonder if you could take that situation that's surrounding your life that you feel hopeless that you feel helpless with and that we could begin to cry out to God and say oh God you see the ocean before me you see the enemy behind me I'm not strong enough to fight him. I'm not strong enough to swim across it. I need you to help me. How many of you are here today, if you, with every head bow and every eye closed in this room, you're here today and you're saying, oh, Pastor Paul, would you pray for me? I've got an ocean in front of me. I've got an enemy behind me and I've got hopelessness within me. And would you pray for me? If that's you, just raise your hand quickly. That's you, hands going up all over this place. What if you stop talking about it to everybody else and you start talking to God about it? What if you started trusting, oh God, I don't know how I can get free from this, but maybe that's the point. I don't think I'm strong enough for it. Maybe this is the point. Maybe I need to bring this to you. For once in my life, I realize that I've faced a situation that no matter how much I try, I can't get free from it. I can't get this enemy away from me. I can't cross this distance and ocean in front of me. Would you please part this sea for me? I'm going to stand still and I'm going to see the salvation of the Lord. This is your command here from God. Be quiet, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, God is going to set some of you free from your challenge, from your situation as you bring it to him today. Father, right now in Jesus' name across this room, you understand the things that stand before us. You understand the enemy that stands behind us. But most of all, you understand the fear that sits within us. It's time that we started looking to the God above us and the faith within us that you want to rise. Lord, tonight, today we say here, we trust you. If you're here and you raised your hand or if you didn't and you need God to do a miracle in your life, I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now and just as a sign of declaration, as maybe an altar call to him saying, God, I don't know how, but I want to trust you. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this and that's why you need to show up. I don't know how to overcome this difficulty, but God, if you come in and part this sea, I'm gonna walk through it. God, if you show up and you begin to move supernaturally, my part is gonna begin to move forward. I'm not gonna move backwards in fear. I'm not gonna sit still in fear. I'm gonna take a step forward and maybe it means I need to get neck deep in this. Maybe I might need to take in a, full, a few mouthfuls of water, but God, part the sea for me in the name of Jesus. Do a miracle in my life. 
Hallelujah. We're going to open up this altar to any of you that, that want prayer. We're going to leave you in your seats for any of you that want to talk to God. That's fine too. Sometimes we just need different things. And some of you, you're like, I've got plans and I've got to travel a long time and you've got kids to pick up and we're not going to hold that against you or think you're not spiritual. You slip out. But some of you that are here today, you, you need more than just, you need more than just a message. You, you need a word from God in your heart. You need to sit before God in silence and just say, oh God, I trust you. Mouth deep in the water, I trust you. Because if you don't move, there's no hope. There's no hope. Father, we thank you that you're a mighty God. You're a powerful God. And we bring our challenges to you. And we trust you in faith today in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. You're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to sit in your seat. You're welcome to get your kids. Trust the Lord. Go in the grace of God. In Jesus' name.